Hello, this is Gary Naylor. Recently I received an email from a lady with whom I have been communicating for over 10 years. The first time that she found rentabride.com, she eventually clicked off on it and said, no, this, this isn't right. But in her searching the internet, she kept coming back to rentabride.com and decided that she was going to take a closer look at it. And upon doing so, she realized, you know, this man has something to say. This is quite interesting. And she has been a bride supporter and reader for over 10 years. In fact, she designed the website that we have that you read from right now. And as a student of bride for over 10 years, she wrote a very interesting email. She said this, I want to thank you again for all of these wonderful podcasts. I literally listen to them every night, throughout the night. I've never felt more hope than since these podcasts began, even more so than from the writings, if that is even possible. Well, I'm glad she's encouraged. I'm glad that she is hopeful. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, I want to just share with the people what's in my heart and why I have been going, not for 10 years, but actually for 23 years. And so I want to spend this time telling you why I've kept going all these years and not quit. Because there were some times in which, boy, I was ready to quit, especially when I lost my family. But I want to give you reasons why I have not quit and why I believe our greatest hope is yet before us. After I lost my family in 2003, there was a friend who called me, he's a Christian brother, and he was concerned for me. And he said, Gary, you have lost Mavis and your family. He said, is it really worth it? And I said, his name was Rich. And I said, Rich, I can tell you that my willingness to lose my family for what I believe tells you the value of what I have seen. There have been many times in which I have wanted to quit. But brothers and sisters, it is hard to quit when what you see is so profoundly confirmed in the scriptures. And what do I trust in? Do I trust in man? Or do I trust in the scriptures and in God to rule and to lead my life? I was just thinking about Mary, the mother of Yeshua. And it says that after her encounter with the shepherds, it says she treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Brothers and sisters, when you get a weight of opposition against you, in order to continue going forward, you have to have a weight of evidence that is greater than the degree of loss. And I don't think a person can pay a higher price 
than the loss of their wife and their five children and friends. And frankly, In 1994, when the Spirit came upon me and I cried out to God, what must I do to be a part of this bride? I gave up everything that I had worked for for 13 years in the ministry, walked away from it and gave what I had to the man who was persecuting me. If you want to know the certainty of the evidence that I have, then you look at the degree of my loss. And now you know the weight of the evidence. But I can remember the time in which I was out in the pasture in the home that we had in Washington State, pondering whether I was going to make a decision that would impact my second daughter. And I realized, and she was the first one to leave. And I realized that I could lose her. But as a father... I have a responsibility and an accountability for my actions and for my family. And so the question for me was, if I lose them, is it going to be better in the long run? And that was the conclusion that I came to. I could lose them for a period of time, but in the end, I would be justified and they would be grateful that I endured and held to what I knew was right. When you look around rentabride.com, you're going to see a lot of writings. Those writings are not there just to fill space. Those writings reveal a volume of truth that to me is more compelling than anything I have ever seen as a believer. Look, I walked as a Christian for 23 years. I know what Christians believe, and I have now walked another 23 years as bride, and there is no comparison in the weight of evidence as to what I see now versus what I knew as a Christian. And the other thing is, when the Spirit came upon me in 1994, in June of that year, what Yahweh taught me were things that no man has ever seen. How could I deny that? Well, someone may say, well, you know, you were just thinking them up or whatever. You were deceived by Satan. Folks, you look at the weight of evidence of the scriptures, and there is a preponderance of evidence that what is taught at Rennet Bride is profoundly clear and true. Unless you're blind, and then you can't understand. So what I lay before you as my first evidence is the weight of the testimony concerning bride. Let me give you another example of Yahweh doing something to ensure that I did not lose heart and quit and give up. Back in the 1970s, probably the mid-1970s, my wife brought a television home knowing that Yahweh was dealing with me not to watch television, and she brought it home. It was unpacked, and that night we watched something until probably 1 o'clock in the morning. And when I turned the television off, my spirit was totally broken. I was grieving over what we had just done. And my wife and I went to her bedroom, 
We knelt down at the bed and I wept. And I said this prayer, Father, whatever it takes to get me to the place where you want me to be, I give you that right. And I thought about what could be the worst thing that would happen. And I added, even if it means taking my wife and children. Brothers and sisters, that is exactly what has happened. My wife and children are gone. And so now that they're gone, you look back and you say, why did I kneel down there? Why did that happen? Except that it was going to come about. And not only did that occur in the mid-70s, but after that, whenever I had a ministry to the poor, we were going through financial <laughs> challenges that were quite frequent. And I remember one time in my bedroom, I was thinking, you know, I don't have the money to pay the rent. And I looked across the hall and there was that same daughter playing on the floor and fear gripped my heart. And I thought this little girl could be out on the streets if I can't pay my rent. And the father spoke to me and he said, didn't you give them to me? And I said, yes, I did. And he said, I'm well able to take care of them. Well, our rent got paid and everything was fine. <laughs> Can I tell you another story? This is just ad lib, but I'm just going to talk with you, okay? I'll show you another example of Yahweh's provision. Again, financially, I didn't see how we were going to make it in the ministry. It became a very common thing for me to say, it'll be interesting to see how he gets us out of this one. But that morning, before I left for the house, I was sitting at the table eating breakfast, and outside the window was this grackle, a black grackle. You'll have to look them up if you don't know what a grackle is, but they're pathetic birds in my estimation of birds. <laughs> and there was a black grackle out there, and I saw it. It was meandering around in the yard. And, and then I went to work, and I came back, and at noon... I was sitting there eating my lunch and I looked outside and there was that black crackle out there again. Well, suddenly it dawned on me. A year before, we had saved a bird that had fallen out of its nest. One of my children brought it to me and I went in the front yard and looked at the nest and I thought, wow, I think that's a jaybird. This would be a really nice bird. And my thoughts were, if this was a grackle, I'd kill it. And so we took the little bird in and started feeding it. And whenever it started putting on feathers, I realized this is not a jaybird. This is a grackle. And it was too late because we got attached to it by then. And sure enough, we raised this baby bird that had really no feathers at all, all the way up to a mature adult. And it would follow me around. I could take it outside. It would follow me. And I named it Grack. But there was something really strange about that bird. And that is, on its wing, a feather would hang down in a very peculiar way. It was, it was dangling. 
And so that was one of the characteristics of this bird, really cute and lovable bird. But it got out. Something ripped the material that we had that was enclosing the grackle on the outside. It could also come on the inside if we opened a window. But while we were gone one evening, it got torn and the grackle was gone. And my prayer was, Father, please take care of grack. That day, whenever I was eating my lunch, all of a sudden it dawned on me, that's grack. Grack came back. How did I know? It had this strange feather hanging down from its right wing, same wing. And there was only one bird that that could be, and that would be grackle. And he came back to where he was born and raised. And so I went out the front door and I said, Grack, Grack. I greeted him. And whenever he was young, I would call his name. He'd go, Mack, 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 Mack. And so sure enough, he flew over my head, you know, up in the trees and went, Mack, 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 Mack. And I said, Grack, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. And he flew around, whack, 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 and then just after a while flew away. And I went back to the house and sat down and I thought, Father, if you're able to take care of a grackle, of course, and I despised him originally, then you can take care of me. And sure enough, our financial situation, we got through it and everything was fine. So I have to ask the question. If Yahweh was concerned about me financially, wouldn't he be concerned about me spiritually as well? And did that actually happen to give me assurance just for my finances? Or is it to give me assurance today when I've lost my family? If Yahweh took care of my grackle when it left and departed and went its way, and brought it back to me, and gave me that testimony. Can I now hope in the Father to bring my family back who have gone away? Can I trust him to bring them back? Folks, these are the kind of things that keep me going. The weight of the evidence. Let me tell you, folks, I don't see any hope for Christianity. I mean, they got 2,000 swine going to the sea of death. Why should I hope in that? And you got a first remnant, and he's got to establish the second remnant. There was the rod of Moses, and it turned into a serpent, Satan, and it's been in the hands of Satan for 2,000 years. It's got to turn back into a rod. These are the kind of things that evidence that indeed this work is essential. And so I trust that Yahweh is leading me and he's going to provide even while my grackle, my family, are away. And again, he told me, didn't you give that family to me? I said, yes. He said, I'm well able to take care of them. Let me tell you another one. that <laughs> it's, it, it's interesting. It's very interesting, and it has often been a resting place for me. When we had the ministry to the poor, we had a thrift store with it, 
and it was a large 12,500 square foot store. And we were making a good profit and saving up our money to buy some land to build a home for the needy. But one month, our thrift store wasn't doing very good, and we weren't making any money and probably would have lost that month. And so I talked to the father about it. I said, Father, I didn't ask for this business. It's your business. I didn't want the business. It's your business. And I said, it looks like you could do a better job running your business. (laughs) Now, that really is a quite disrespectful thing to say, granted. But I was frustrated, and I'm glad Yahweh was patient with me. And this is what he answered. He said, I'm not building a business. I'm building a man. Many times I have said to the father, I sure hope you're building a man right now, father. I trust you're building a man because, folks, there's a brother who was a bride brother at one time. And he had a name for me. He called me the king of disappointment. I'd like to give up that kingdom at some point. But I've been disappointed so many times, he hung that name on me as the king of disappointment that I have been for 23 years. That disappointment began whenever we had to leave the ranch and didn't receive the latter rain in August of that next year. That's when disappointment became a bitter, bitter pill that I've had to endure many times. I remember with that disappointment, I went on a walk the morning after. And I looked in the backyard of a person's home. We lived out in the country, and there was a Renault 16 in the backyard. And why would that be significant to me? Because whenever I became a believer, we had three options either buy a new car, which was a Renault, buy a used Renault, or keep the Buick that we had. And we put it before Yahweh with little pieces of paper, and I'm going to tell this real quick. Three pieces of paper. So the first one was keep the Buick, and I put that out there, and we opened up the Bible, and it was just, you know, some mundane scripture. Then the one that I wanted was the used Renault, and so... We put that piece of paper out there that said that and prayed over it and then opened up the Bible and it was very obscure again. And then the third one was by a new Renault. It's opened up the Bible and here's what the passage was. And they saw that it was a good purchase and purchased it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) How much more evidence do you need? We kept that car for 13 years. And it was a fantastic investment. Yahweh God led us in what we were to do. Folks, you have something like that happen, and you see a Renault 16 on the morning of your disappointment. You know how many Renault 16s there are in America, especially back then in 1994? They were scarce as hen's teeth at best. And here was one that was in the backyard of a man's home that I just happened to walk by, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, you weren't wrong then, and you're not wrong now. If 
folks, that keeps me going. Let me tell you another encouraging story. Yes, I get disappointed. I have been disappointed a number of times and discouraged. And nothing was going on in Bride. Nothing was taking place. And I thought, Father, if you're not going to do anything, uh, I'll just go drive a truck. I'll go to truck driving school. I'll go drive a truck. And if you want to use me, you'll find me sitting in the cab of an 18-wheeler. And so I made plans. And I was going to go to a truck driving school, and I showed up. I registered for it. I showed up, had my blood work. Everything was fine. And then on the first day, they do a physical test. And it's a very simple test. I mean, you just had to pick up something heavy and put it on a table or you carried something from one place to another place. And it was very simple. I was passing it very easily. The way they tested me that I could not have a heart rate of 145 or higher. And so I was down at 118, 119, 120. Everything was going hunky-dory. And then the last one came up, and there was a man there that I had gotten to know, and we hit it off good, and he was uh, kind of a jokester. And so he was under this platform that simulated being under a truck, and so he was kind of on his knees, and he said, uh, he's going to be praying. And I said, buddy, you need to, this is Sunday. And I said, buddy, you need to be on your knees praying. And I had just picked up this box and set it up on the table. And so I stuck my finger out and they were going to put that little clamp on it and do my heart rate. This was the last test. I had passed all the others easily, but I told this joke. I guess this is what did it. I stuck my finger up there and they put that little thing on my finger and he waited and he waited. He took it off and he said, go to the cafeteria. I said, what what do you mean? He said, your heart rate was 145. I said, oh, I thought it couldn't be greater than 145. He said, no. He said, your heart rate was 145, and it could not be 145 or higher. He said, I kept waiting for it to come down, but it didn't. So, Yahweh God closed the door on being a truck driver. He led me according to his will. It's interesting, on the way home, I was driving down the highway and just, you know, they have these mile markers and you never pay any attention to them. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I caught this mile marker and it had flipped upside down. So evidently the top bolt had turned loose and it was upside down. And what was the number on the mile marker? 153. The number of fish that the disciples caught after Yeshua resurrected from the dead and returned. 153. So Yeshua kept me from being a truck driver. He had other plans for me. And again, folks, I've gone through some very difficult times. Sometimes when I didn't even want to live. Um, I remember going down the road one day and just wishing a car would come across the lines and hit me head on. I would have smiled if it had happened. And for several years, I went through some really difficult challenges. But back in the 1970s, I had two dreams. 
that were spiritual dreams. You know, there is a difference between having just a dream and having a spiritual dream. In fact, I rarely dream. Oh, I say I rarely dream. I probably dream, but I have no idea what I dreamt. It's very rare for me to remember a dream. That is, unless it is a spiritual dream. Let me give you two of them. And I'm going to try to be brief. And again, I'm just sharing with you. This is just between you and I. Don't tell anybody else. No. It's just between you and I. These are some of the things that keep me going, that have kept me going, including Grack and everything else. Good old Grack. Man. <laughs> what a wonderful testimony. But here we go. In this dream, I was in a car with a woman who was driving. And she was going to take me to see this prophetess. And so we drove over to this embankment that went down into the ground. And I'm not saying it was a cave, but it was like it had been dug out of the ground. I drove down into it. It wasn't that far. It was, you know, 60 feet driveway, if you would. And it was solid stone around it. And over on the left side, this left corner, there was a cleft of the rock that was, um, honestly, it was like a woman's, a woman's opening. There's this cleft. And so this woman said, I'm going to go in and see if the prophetess will let you come in. And so she went through the cleft of that rock and she came back out and got back in the car and said, the prophetess said, you cannot come in. And I will go back in and see if I can talk with her. So she got out, went over through the cleft of the rock, and whenever she entered into there, oh, well, let me tell you this. When she said I couldn't come in, I thought, what's wrong with me? She must know something bad about me. Are you this way too? I thought, she's, oh, man, what does she know about me? must be bad. So the lady went into the cleft of the rock, and all of a sudden an earthquake began. Now we're talking about a dramatic earthquake. It was shaking everything, everything. Everything was crumbling. And the car that I was in started shaking back up the incline and back around in the direction where I had come. And everything was being swallowed into the earth. I remember trees just being swallowed into the ground. It was devouring everything, all vegetation, everything. And the car started melting around me. And it too was being sucked down into the earth. It was a pool that I eventually was on. And it was just being sucked down in. And I jumped off of that onto something else. And in all of this, I kept going backwards and it too began to be sucked into the ground. And about the time it was going to be sucked in, the earthquake was over. Well, I was protected in all of that. Of course, the cleft of the rock would really look to Christianity because Moses was to stand beside Yahweh and Yahweh was going to hide him in the cleft of the rock and put his hand over the cleft so he couldn't be seen. Let me tell you another account. And I actually have questioned whether I should share this with you because it's so personal to me. 
but I'm going to. It too was a dream. And again, like Mary, I ponder these things in my heart. I was inside a theater, a movie theater, and it was a very regal theater with these big curtains and everything. And the theater started filling up with water. And these huge octopus tentacles were trying to grab me as I was in this water, thrown about by it. And these octopus tentacles were trying to get me, and they never could get me. And the water drained out, and I walked out of the theater. I can remember the water on the floor. And I walked out on the front porch of the theater. Now, the setting of this theater was not like what you'd see today. This theater was very much Greek pavilion type theater. It was marble columns. It would be something you'd see in Washington, D.C. Huge marble columns and marble walls and such. And I went out on this front porch and it was a long, large, spacious area. And uh, there was a man coming up the walkway into the theater And he started walking up these steps, and he had a diving suit on. One of these old-fashioned ones, you know, with the helmet that they put on, this big round spherical ball. And he was dragging a tube, this oxygen tube. And as he walked by me into the theater, I thought, well, at least he knows what he's getting into. I didn't. So I walked down those steps, and there was a... Now, hang in here with me. And there was a street out there, a paved street, and I got in a car, again, got in a car, and I started driving down this hill, and at the bottom of the hill was a cross street. And so this was a T, the road that I was going down. I had to either turn right or left, but the problem is there was a lot of traffic going through the intersection, and I had a red light. In the car that I was in, again, it was a car situation. The car that I was in started spinning in circles and circles and circles. And here I was going towards the red light. And the car actually spun down and turned the corner, spinning round and round, and then stopped. I got out of the car. And I started walking back up towards this huge Romanesque theater. And as I was walking up this grassy hill across the yard, I heard the sounds of chains rattling, rattling, rattling against metal inside the theater. I knew they were demon spirits. And so I put my hands up in front of me with my fingers extended. And I started at the back of the theater. And I started moving my hands forward slowly across this side wall of the theater. And as I did, I heard these giant iron doors slamming on them. And I knew that these demons were being locked up. Boom, 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 boom. And finally, I got to the front of the theater, and that was all done. And I can tell you, that I think that is equivalent to what has to happen when Satan is bound with a chain and thrown into bondage for the thousand years. 
and I walked back up on the porch of that theater to where I had begun. And I started all over again. This time, though, hold on, stay with me. It's interesting. It's very hopeful. And so I started walking down the steps just like I had before. I walked down that walkway. But this time, there was a cave entrance over to my left. And I went up to that cave entrance, and I, again, extended my hands and my, with my fingers out, extended my hands before me because I knew there was evil in the cave. And I started walking down into the darkness of the cave. And after a while, I could see to my right, there were frozen statues of people, frozen in time like they were in an action stance, and all of a sudden, boom, they got converted to the stone. They were all in action stances. And I had my hands out in front of me, and I felt them reaching out and touching my hand and touching my arm on my right side. And I realized what was happening is they were coming alive. They were no longer stone statues. And so I continued to walk, and I saw light at the end of the cave. And my arms were down by now. And I saw in this light that there was a platform, I would say a foot and a half tall, by, I can't tell you how big, I'm not good at, let's say um, 16 feet by 10 feet deep. Anyway, there was a platform, a raised platform that was about a foot and a half tall. And on it were the 12 apostles. Now, we're talking about a very bright light here. And they were the 12 apostles. And I walked up to it on the left side, to my left. And these men had robes, by the way. And what they were, were three rows of four each. There were four in the first row, and they were separated by each other. And then four on the next row. But in the next row, there were actually three over to my right. And I stepped up on the platform, and I walked between those two on the end. I walked between them. I walked between the next two, and I went over to the place that was vacant, and I turned around and I stood there. And the dream was over. Well, folks, I never forgot those dreams. Let me tell you. What I went through, I can relate to them entirely. An earthquake, everything being sucked into the ground. I mean, I went through difficult times that I didn't think I would make it. And then that car spinning round and round. I thought, man, that's the way my life is. And I went through a period in which it was tremendous risk as far as my well-being, what was going to happen to my life. It was very challenging. But I made it through, and I made it through these years. Now, what you have with this last one is a breach period because you remember, I started at this one place up on the porch. I went down the steps, down the sidewalk, got in the car, went down the paved street. It was a busy-looking street. 
and then went through that intersection and then got out of the car and came back up to the building. And I stood exactly where I began before. Now, isn't that a breach? That's exactly right. But this time had to be different. And I think that's where we are right now. The Spirit came upon me in 1994 and showed me these incredible truths. And I escaped Christianity, a theater. In fact, right after that dream, a guy came over and I told him, he said, you know, that's interesting. I just had a dream about the theater being Christianity. And it is. It's a place of entertainment. And so I came out of Christianity, but I went into this breach period in which my life was at risk. Then I came back up. And after binding Satan, I started another walk in the same course. I think that's where we are, folks. I think Satan is being bound and people will come alive. I can tell you this. And this is another encouraging thing. People are coming alive in Africa. This bride truth is spreading across Africa like a fire. And it's not just to Christians, it's to Muslims. It's even gone north of the Sahara Desert and is being taught in the northern countries of Africa. It is incredible what Yahweh God is doing. And I think the reason it's happening is because it is time for the Spirit to be outpoured. It would be a one and a half year period for the Africa work. You see, I began teaching in December actually the last of November, then December, and it will be one and a half years from then to our May 31 date that we have set for the hopeful latter rain. And so I think now is the time for our victory. Satan is being bound in Africa. That's the testimony that we see with what's happening there. Satan is being bound. People are seeing things. People are seeing truth that they have never seen before and accepting it wholly, Christian and Muslim alike, and other religions as well, the Hindus. And I think that this is the period in which we can find the fulfillment that began 23 years ago in 94. It has been a long, long period testing, but it's also been a long period of revelation and understanding. And for that, I'm most, most grateful. But in going down and extending my hands in that cave in darkness, and the people were gray like stones, hopefully what we're seeing in Africa is exactly what was shown in that dream, and that is people coming alive. You know, (laughs) It's interesting. Yahweh called me to the ministry in 1979. And then a year later, he opened the way for me to go to Dallas. And I was going to start a church. And Yahweh told me what the name of the church would be. (laughs) And honestly, I didn't like it. I thought it was hokey. I'm... I don't like some of these church names. They're just hokey. And when he told me the name was to be, I I used it, but I didn't care for it because I thought it was a little over the top. Would you like to know what the name of that church was going to be? 
And by the way, Yahweh then led me into the death principle shortly after that. And that church never was successful. But here's the name of it. The name of the church that Yahweh told me to begin in Dallas was Come Alive Fellowship. Can you believe it? Of all names, Come Alive Fellowship. And that's exactly what was happening when I walked down into that cave. They were coming alive. And it has to extend beyond Africa. It has to touch the world. And that's what we're hoping will begin. Particularly as a result of May 31 of this year. People have to come alive out of this death that we have known for 2,000 years. <laughs> Let me tell you another little story. Look, these are the things that encourage me. Okay, I hope they encourage you as well. And you probably have your own stories. You just don't have your podcast yet. <laughs> but you can share them with me. One year, we were going to go on vacation as a family. And I was thinking about a certain place to go. And all of a sudden, Yahweh dealt with me and said, no, you just get in the car and go. So I told my wife one night, I can remember laying in bed. And I said, you know, God's told me just to trust him. We're just going to get in the car and he's going to lead us where we're supposed to go on vacation. So by the time we got ready, and it's very interesting, whenever I was to make that trip, I was going to go in a van that belonged to another family. And I calculated the fuel cost based on driving my vehicle, the Renault, but this was a big, big van and I took enough money for the fuel as though I was driving the Renault and that doesn't calculate out. And so I went to this Christian bookstore in my Renault and was talking with this man, told him I was going to go on this trip and all. And I went back out to the car and I tried to start it and it wouldn't start. <laughs> the car always starts. It wouldn't start. So I went back in to the guy who owns the Christian bookstore and told him, I said, do you have any jumper cables? I said, you know, my car won't start. And so he got some and came out and got his car and started it. And I told him what we were getting ready to do. We're getting ready to leave. I think the next day we're getting ready to leave. We're going to go on this trip. And God's told us just to get in the vehicle and go. And he's going to show us what to do. We got the car started. And after it was started, then he came back out. And he walked up to me and he put something in my hand. He said, God told me to give you this. I think he gave me $200, something like that. Guess what, folks? <laughs> if he had not put that money in my hands, I would not have made it back. That was the exact amount of money that we had to have in order to pay the fuel bill for that gas-guzzling van. And so here again, Yahweh provided in a miraculous way. So we get in the van, we take off. And at that point, I knew I was supposed to go back to San Juan, Colorado, where I had gone as a young boy and had this memorable time there. It was in the summer. So we get there about noon and we don't have a place to stay. We don't have blankets. God just told us to go. And so we went to one place and I asked him, do you have any openings? Uh, no, no, we're totally booked up. 
went to another place. Uh, that one, no, we're not going to stay there. And here it was getting evening. You know, the sun's going to set in Colorado at night. It really gets cold. I knew from experience. And so I went down this road where we would go into where we would be fishing. And I went down and it's going to dead end at the headwaters of the Rio Grande. And so I went all the way to the end and there was this one last place. One last place. I mean, this was dark. We were going to get cold with children. We had a baby with us, too, and nothing was available. So we go to this place, and we tell the lady that we're looking for a place. But she wanted, oh, man, it's going to break the bank for me to stay in this cabin. And I, I said, well, we, we can't afford that. And so she cut $50 off or something like that. And I thought, well, you know, maybe we could do it. And, and I started to say, okay and then she interrupted me this is one of the few times i've been glad to be interrupted and she interrupted me and she just kept talking she said you know does your children know how to sew Sew? my girls made their own clothing yes they knew how to sew she said you know if they'll do some sewing for me i'll just give it to you half price <laughs> half price yeah that's now you're talking and folks, that was the most wonderful vacation that, that we ever had. It was absolutely wonderful. San Juan. But here, Yahweh told me, don't plan on where you're going. You just let me lead you. And it looked like we were getting ready to be hung out to dry. Because we didn't have a place. There was nothing available. And we were going to get cold with a baby. And we stayed in this beautiful cabin with this loft in the top where the children slept. And it was an incredibly wonderful vacation. In fact, it was time for us to go. And the woman begged us to stay for a few more days. And she said, I'll let you stay here free if you'll stay here and do some more work. And I said, well, you know, I've got this ministry I've got to get back to. I can't do that. I'd love to, but I can't. Brothers and sisters, when you go through an experience like that and the father says he will lead you, then you learn to trust him. When the spirit came on me in 1994 and revealed to me all these wonderful truths, totally transformed my life. I went through an earthquake in what I believed and he's added to it time and time and time again as I've gone through my own breach from 1994 to where we are now. It's like going to San Juan. You just obey and you let him lead you. And that's what he's done for 23 years. Now, is Yahweh God going to do something this month to testify of what he would do in May? Will he do something in March that testifies to what he would do in May? You know, March is like May. We don't know yet. We're in the middle of March. I don't know what Yahweh's going to do. But it's totally in his hands. Nothing we can do about it. Africa is a year and a half work at this point. And what's he going to do come May 31? We do not know. But I can tell you this. I've had enough testimonies in my life to trust Yahweh. To trust 
that he's going to perform his word. He is going to keep us. He's going to lead us. He's going to accomplish his will. But let us add one more important thing to that testimony that he gave me in that dream. Going down that cave, people coming alive, going up to this platform with this brilliant white light where the 12 apostles were standing, but there were only 11. Yet four, four, and three. And I went up there, stood where the 12th apostle would be, the back left corner to me of this platform, turned around and stood there with them. Why? Folks, this dream was given to me, both of those dreams that I've just gone over, in the 1970s. Bride didn't come until 1994. I had no idea what Yahweh God was going to do. So what would it mean? With standing with the twelve. I didn't know that there would be a latter-day set of twelve apostles. No idea. No man had ever seen that before. No man had ever seen the two-part remnant. But today... Yes, the twelfth apostle of those who were in the beginning. We're talking about Peter, James, John, and all of them. That office that belonged to Judas was vacated. Matthias did not fill it. That office went to Satan. And you can go to Renat Bright and look all this up. Just search for a term like Judas Iscariot, Satan. And you'll find it. That office was vacated by Judas Iscariot. It went to Satan. Yeshua said himself, I have chosen the 12 of you, and one of you is the devil. He meant it. That rod in the hand of Moses turned into a serpent. The office of the Elijah, it was in Judas Iscariot. What did John the Baptist, where they asked him if he was Elijah, what did John the Baptist do? Death, burial, resurrection. And that's what Judas Iscariot had to do. Judas Iscariot started the Elijah work, the 12th apostle work, by bringing Yeshua into death. Satan ensured burial. And Satan has been burying people for 2,000 years. The church. What has to happen? Rod, serpent, rod. Where did Yahweh tell Moses to grab that snake? You don't grab snakes where Yahweh told him to grab that snake. He said, grab the snake by the end, by the end of its tail. And he reached down and grabbed it, and it turned back into a rod. That is exactly what we have to have today. The office that has belonged to the serpent Satan for 2,000 years has to go back to a man. And in that dream, I stood in the place of the 12th apostle, in the place of Judas. Folks, that is exactly what has to happen today. Those apostles who are dead and in the ground, and that cave was in the ground, I have to be able to go into that cave and miraculously, if you would, intercessorily, through this dream, stand in the place of the 12th apostle. That's what we have to have today. We have to have a man who fills that office 
and establishes another set of 12 apostles so that you have the 24 elders around the throne. And again, I will remind you, my hands were extended and all of those demons were being locked up as the doors were slamming on them with their chains. That is what has to happen. You say, Gary, how are you going to do it? I can't. There is nothing I can do to accomplish this, folks. Zero. All I can do is obey and go and do what he says to do. I have no idea what will happen between now and May 31. No idea. It's not my department. It's Yahweh's department. When Moses asked to see Yahweh's glory, he stood on a rock beside him. Yahweh hit him in the cleft of the rock, Christianity. Yahweh passed by. He took his hand off of the rock, and Moses saw his back. In other words, Yahweh God must go before us and perform the works. It is not by us. It is by God. In fact, in May of 1994, whenever I wrote my monthly letter to those with Sunshine House Ministries, Yahweh God didn't give me anything to say. And that's what I always relied upon. And I wrote very simply, if Yahweh doesn't, and I did call him Yahweh then, but if God doesn't show me what to say here, this is going to be the shortest letter you've ever received. I wrote one line, by God or not at all. Folks, that's where we are today. It is by God or not at all. Now, I've had some wonderful things shown to me, both in truth and in dreams like I was just speaking of, experiences, even losing my family, the grack. He did come back and he did tell me, didn't you give that family to me? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm well able to take care of them. That's what I'm counting on. It is by God or not at all, folks. And I share these things to give you an understanding of why I've continued to persevere this entire time. Even when I went to drive that truck, that was Yahweh. He closed the door. And then hung the sign out upside down that said 153, the 153 mile marker. What's Yahweh going to do? He's going to perform a work according to his will and according to his glory. We look to him to complete what he began. The year and a half in Africa, coming to May 31, hopefully is a testimony of what he's going to do ahead. Let me tell you another experience, but is this going to find the fulfillment? I don't know. I don't know. But Tommy, the one whom I spoke of in the podcast called Tommy, whenever he listened to this last podcast about Steve Jones and the test of Carmel, and he knows Steve, has understood and followed his writings, But when he listened to that, he knew that he was supposed to do something. In fact, he started to just pick up the phone and call me and tell me, this is what I want to do. He knew that he was supposed to come and be here on May 31. 
I think governmentally. And when he said that, that Tommy's a black man, I thought, how interesting that the year and a half work in Africa of black men will come to that conclusion. I can't say that it's ending, but that year and a half period is comes to a conclusion or a marker, if you would say. And here, the first person to tell me I want to be there with you on May 31 is none other than a black man. I think he's a link. I think Tommy would be the link between what has been happening in Africa for a year and a half and what we hope is going to take place before us. I can't tell you what's going to happen come May 31. I can't tell you if we're going to have a gathering. But I do know we have one man, a black man, who is preparing to be here on May 31. We'll just see what Yahweh does. Again, it's by God or not at all. But we want to be faithful. We want to be diligent. And with hope, we look to the Father to complete his word, and complete his work. Sitting in that thrift store at my desk, telling the Father, this is not my business. This is your business. It's your idea. Looks like you could do a better job running your business. He said, I'm not building a business. I'm building a man. That thrift store is gone. It came to an end. We started a, another work, in which we picked up pallets. Had a very successful business there. Reassembled them. From there, we went out to the ranch. And there I've had a home for women and children. And that's when the spirit came up on me in 1994. Everything breached. But we've been faithful by the grace of God. Here we are today at the time of fulfillment. This is the third 23rd. You know what? I found out something just today. I'll share it with you. Talking with the guy, a question came up as to how long was it from the time of Paul's conversion to when he disobeyed the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you knew that, but he disobeyed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul didn't obey. And so it was also prophesied to him that he was going to be taken into captivity. So Paul didn't obey the Holy Spirit. He was taken into captivity. This conversation with this guy, he asked me how long was that? And I said, I have no idea. Well, after the conversation, I went online and I found out at least how one man put it all together. Guess what? From the time of his conversion to the time in which he told the Holy Spirit no. 23 years. Now, Paul failed. And all of Christianity is a work of failure. It does not accomplish what we have to have. And that is life, overcoming Satan. But it's not possible through Paul. And it's not possible through Christianity. Yes, his 23 led to bondage. But my last 23 has got to bring life. That's what we're hoping for. We're hoping to receive the latter rain. Yahweh pour out his spirit. 
and give us life. Give us his shemen, which is the Hebrew word for oil. We need that oil. Let me tell you, folks, there's much more that I could share with you that bolsters my faith. I've spoken about my five children, where he had two girls, a boy and two girls. The first two girls represent the first remnant. The boy had a cord wrapped around his neck. That would be the body of Christ. It's wrapped around his neck three times. And then the last two girls, one was dipped in blood as she came out of the womb, and the other was a breach that Yahweh God miraculously healed, miraculously restored. That's yet another testimony that Yahweh is going to fulfill his word. These testimonies are wonderful, and they give us hope, and they've caused me to endure for 23 years. And now we look to the Father to fulfill his word and to give us victory. Yahweh spoke to me once, take Rebecca with you. If you want victory by the Holy Spirit, take Rebecca. And I trust that Yahweh God has fulfilled that as well. That is addressed in one of the other podcasts. So here we are with great hope, just like that dear bride's sister said. This is the greatest hope I've ever had in all my years with bride. So we share her sentiments and we look to the father to fulfill his word and to fulfill his will and to give us the latter rain. And there again, when you've got a tabernacles Pentecost on May 31, 2017, when you've got the middle of a Hezekiah double portion Passover on May 31, 2017, and when you have the Jews' regular Pentecost on May 31, 2017, this is a wonderful opportunity to see Yahweh God fulfill his word. And we look to him to do so. In the name of Yeshua, Amen.